Those of you that are age appropriate can be dismissed for children's church. Mad rush down the aisles. Hopefully we won't see Pete or Alvina going that direction. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, and I hope you do, we always preach out of the Bible here at Bridgeway. And uh, if you want to bring one along, you can certainly do that. I preach from the New Living Translation as a general rule of thumb. And, and Darren is, he's preached from, was it the English Standard Version last week? Sometimes he's from the NIV. Sometimes he'll just fool us all and preach from Darren's version of Scripture. And then we all have to be on our toes, maybe. If you don't have a Bible and you would like one, just talk to myself or Pastor Darren or one of the deacons that stood up. And uh, we'll make sure to, to get you one because it's a pretty important thing to do. You can also download one for your phone um, for, for, for free app on, on there. There's all sorts of different apps for Bibles on your phone as well. Just make sure that it's the Christian Bible. So there's a few other ones out there. Let me begin by asking you a question. Why did all of those people in Jesus' day reject him? We sang about how wonderful he is, who walks on the water, who speaks to the sea. Why does the world around us reject Jesus? Why do some people, even in the church, reject Jesus? Why do I, sometimes in my own life, reject Jesus? I want to begin this morning by showing you some pictures, four pictures. I want you to try and figure out what these four pictures have in common with each other, all right? So picture number one, you might recognize, that's me, ha <laughs> Picture number two uh, is a guy that played in the NHL. He was an NHL defenseman, famous guy. Picture number three is also someone who's relatively well-known. He's a singer. Uh, he was also on Canada's Top Chef. And uh, picture number four is an actor. He's actually the son of picture number two. Anyone know who all four of those people are? Nick Kempinski, Larry Playfair, Cody Carey, and Dylan Playfair. Did anyone guess all four of those correctly? No points for you. All right. So the next thing is, what do they have in common with each other? It's not facial hair. Uh, it's not hair, uh, thanks to that guy number one. It's also not rugged good looks, although Elaine seems to think that. Um, thank you, Elaine. Uh, what do they have in common with each other? Yes, they're all male, but that's not what I'm going for. What do they have in common with each other? Does anyone have a guess? I'll tell you. All four of these people come from Fort St. James, British Columbia, a picturesque and historic little town. A good place to be from, as in no longer there. No, I'm kidding. I, I love my hometown. I just told a friend of mine uh, this week that I think I left a little piece of my heart on top of Mount Pope, my hometown. Um, I grew up cheering for the Buffalo Sabres. Because of Larry Playfair, I'm a kind of guy that I really love tough guy hockey. I, I love that. And if you Google hockey fights this afternoon, you're probably going to see Larry Playfair uh, in a few of those. I've bought an album that I never listened to. And uh, I, I, I've watched the whole season of Canada's Top Chef because he was a competitor in, in Canada's Top Chef because of Cody Carey. He didn't win. He came in fourth, I think. Cody's mom actually goes to my home church in Fort St. James. 
And I really did try to watch Letterkenny on TV because one of the actors is from my hometown. I just couldn't do it. So some of you are Letterkenny fans. We'll talk later and I will lead you to the light. My point is this, though. Sharing the same location actually makes me more inclined to cheer for someone, to think highly of somebody, to root for them rather than hate them. Even if I don't know them personally, I'm always glad to see someone from my hometown make it big, right? I'm always happy about that. Um, I'm always happy to see my hometown in the news other than that infamous serial killer who also comes from my hometown that we're not going to talk about. What about you? Do you cheer for hometown boys? This week I googled um, famous people from Swift Current and, and Google gave me 10 names and every single one of them was a hockey player. So I don't know what that says about Swift Current, but, but there you have it. Ho- hockey fans for sure. Maybe you know some of the famous people who come from Swift Current who are hockey players or former hockey players. I had that discussion with someone this week. Maybe you're the one that has season's tickets for the Broncos and, and you, you, watch, you watch them play because you think, you know, one day one of the, some of them are going to be NHLers and, and, and that's part of what you do. But don't you find that you are predisposed towards cheering for someone from your hometown rather than disparaging them, rather than not thinking highly of them. We're usually proud of the person from Saskatchewan, right? Uh, and Banjo Bowl didn't give us a whole lot to be proud of this week, but that's okay. Green is still the color. And when Canada plays in the Olympic Games, we generally cheer for the athletes that are from Canada, right? Uh, it's our country. It's our province. It's our hometown. We are more likely to accept, to support, to be interested in, and to cheer for our own. But when you read John's story of, of Jesus, his, his friend who did all these incredible things, right at the very beginning of John's story, you get this verse. Although the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him when he came. Even in his own land and among his own people, he was not accepted. Why did Jesus' own people reject him? Why, why did the world reject him? And more importantly, why sometimes do you and I find ourselves rejecting him? Let's pray. Father, this is your word. It comes to us from one of Jesus' best friends, John, eyewitness testimony to who Jesus is. And we know that it's alive and it's active and it penetrates to our soul and our spirit, our bones and our marrow. So as we look at your word today, Father, we just pray that you would speak to us. We worshiped you earlier with our voices in song. Now we want to worship you with our ears as we hear your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Last week, Pastor Darren introduced the Gospel of John to us. It's an incredible book. It's an incredible story. And you're going to be looking at it from now until probably Easter of next year. It might be a break around Christmas time. But, but other than that, we're going to be parked out in, in the Gospel of John. So if you uh, add that to your weekly reading, um, that would be a great thing to just really get yourself centered on that Gospel. Pastor Darren reminded us that the purpose of John is given right at the very end of the book in John chapter 20, verse 31. These are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you might have life in his name. That's at the end of the book, but already here in the 12th verse of the very first chapter, John is telling us why he's writing, why he's telling us about Jesus. Believe. Do you know John uses that word 98 times in the Gospel of John? 98 times. And every time he uses the word believe... It's never a noun. It's always a verb. It's always something that you do. You believe in Jesus. So the first four chapters of John reveal Jesus as being the object of belief, someone who is worthy of us believing and loving and obeying. And then the remaining chapters in John talk about how the people gradually start growing in their, in their disbelief or their unbelief. It starts to intensify all while the disciples are learning and growing and growing in their belief. And throughout the entire book, John tells us about Jesus, the one who is worthy of our belief. So I was studying this week. I, I just was looking at John chapter 1, and, and here's all the titles that are used of Jesus in John chapter 1. It's kind of staggering. Jesus is the Word, John 1.1. 1, 1. Jesus is the Creator, John 1.3. Jesus is the Light, John 1, verse 4 and 5. Jesus is the Unique One, John 1, verse 18. Jesus is the Lord, John 1.23. Jesus is the Lamb of God, John 1, 29, Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, that's Hebrew and Greek, uh, in John 1, 31 and 41. Jesus is the chosen one of God, John 1, 34. Jesus is the rabbi, the teacher, John 1, 38. And Jesus is the very person that Moses wrote about. John 1, verse 45. Jesus is the King of Israel, John 1, 49. Jesus is the Son of God, John 1, 49. Jesus is the Son of Man, John 1, 51. That's just the first chapter of this incredible book that tells us who Jesus is. Now, Pastor Darren asked me to preach about John the Baptist uh, this week, and, and he's already covered the first 18 verses of, of John, and, uh, and so that's what he asked me to do, and, and I'm, I'm, going to have to, I'm going to have to not do that. As I was studying this week, I just I kept coming to verses 10 through 13. And so I don't know how I'm going to do it next week. I have to talk about John the Baptist and Jesus calling the first disciples. There's a huge chunk that we'll, we'll work on next week. But uh, for today, this is what I just, this week, it just kept hitting me. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believe him and accept him, he gives the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or, or plan, but a birth that comes from God. 
Now, if you accept John's testimony that Jesus is the Christ, this, this man who came from Nazareth, this human being, was actually the Christ, the true prophet of God, the promised Messiah, and in fact, God himself, then the idea that he wasn't accepted by his people becomes that much more incredible, stark, and hard to believe. I mean, this is clearly a reference to Israel, to the, to the people who lived in the Roman provinces of Galilee and Judea in the first century. Jesus came to a land where God had already stamped his name, to, to a people who were the descendants of Abraham, the inheritors of God's promise in Genesis chapter 12, to a temple dedicated to the worship of God. Jesus came to a people who were poised to accept and receive their Messiah longing for their deliverer. Like my own predisposition towards people from my own hometown, <laughs> they should have been leaping at the chance to recognize Jesus, to follow him, and to loudly proclaim, this is Jesus, like he's one of us. He's a hometown boy. He's ours. And John says, instead, they reject him. Why? We're confronted with a, a mystery here. Right at the beginning of John's gospel, John's story of Jesus, John wants everyone who reads his book to understand that there's a cosmic battle that's going on all around us in the whole of the universe. It's a battle between light and dark, between good and evil, between God and, and the forces of, of the enemy. And, and, and John is saying to us, and he wants us to understand that this isn't just something that happens out there. It's something that takes place day by day and every moment in our own hearts. It has an effect on our lives. And so the non-Jewish people are lost and they're blind and they're stuck in darkness because they, they don't recognize the hand of the creator. They don't see Jesus in creation. And the Jews are lost and blind in their darkness because they don't recognize their Messiah. And Jesus has demonstrated overwhelming evidence of his hand in creation in the world around us. The heavens declare the glory of God, and yet people don't see it. And Jesus has fulfilled all of the messianic prophecies of the Hebrew scriptures. There's something like hundred and some odd prophecies about Jesus, and yet he is inexplicably rejected. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. Now, now John bursts in here with a, an amazing promise in verse 12, but to all who believe him and accept him, he gives the right to become children of God. And we're going to look at that verse in just a moment, but I want to jump down past verse 12 and, and look at verse 13. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. Now, in the Greek, in the original text, there's actually three parts here, three, three things. I believe that God speaks through John to give you and I three possible reasons why the people in Jesus' day rejected him, reasons why people in our day and age reject him, and maybe even, maybe even a reason why you are willing to give him 95%, most to Jesus' I surrender. 
but you're hanging on to something. You're not giving them everything. And by doing so, you're rejecting them. So John says, first of all, that this new life in Jesus doesn't come because of your lineage. If you come from good stock, if you have a a long descendancy, the Greek word literally means blood. And that means not by inheritance, not by your DNA received from your grandparents and great-grandparents and great-great-great-grandparents, wherever they lived and wherever they came from. Pastor Darren's going to get to John chapter 8 later in the year. But Jesus clearly says this as well. He says, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. The simple truth is that you cannot get to heaven because of who you are descended from. You could trace your ancestry back to a king or a prince. It doesn't really matter to God. You don't inherit salvation like you inherit your brown eyes or your ornery stubbornness. You don't. You can grow up in a Christian home, attend a Christian school, spend all your time in Christian activities, drink milk from a Christian cow, but that's not how you're saved. Corey Ten Boom said it. God has no grandchildren. God has no grandchildren. It's up to every single one of us to accept and believe, to become a child of God. You don't get to become his child through your lineage. And there are some people that that's, that's something that stops them from accepting Jesus. Well, I'm American, so isn't that good enough? Well, I'm Jewish, so isn't that good enough? Well, I'm Mennonite, so isn't that good enough? You don't get to be a child of God because of your lineage. Your lineage is cool. You want to talk to me about your Ancestry.com DNA kit. I'm, I'm all on board with that. I think those sort of things are really neat. But when it comes to salvation, they're kind of irrelevant. Second, this life in Jesus is not, not by human decision. It's not by the will of the flesh in Greek. In other words, it's not something that you decide to do one day. Oh, wake up. Woohoo! Ah, turn off the alarm. Today is going to be different than every other day. I'm turning over a new leaf. I'm starting a new chapter. I'm making a new resolution. From this moment on, I'm going to be a different person. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. You can't make yourself a Christian by positive thinking by pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps, by making a New Year's resolution. You will never achieve salvation through your own willpower, tendaciously deciding that from this moment on, you're going to do everything by the book. You're going to obey all the rules. You're never going to mess up or fail in your resolve to be a Christian, to get new life in Jesus. Oh, There are so many people that reject Jesus because they think they can do it on their own. Kingdom of God, the family of God, new life in Jesus, it's open to you for one reason and one reason only. It's because God decided to offer it to you. It's not by your decision, it's by God's decision. And it's offered to you as a free gift. It can never be something that you could hope to accomplish through your own willpower. It's not by human decision. And if you try to approach God through your own goodness, 
Oh, you are sadly misdirected. Your willpower, when it comes to your salvation, it's irrelevant. Thirdly, this new birth into the kingdom and family of God isn't through a husband's will. However, some versions translate it by human passion. You see, most of us were born into this world, right? Raise your hands if you weren't born. Yeah, okay. All of us were born into this world. And and for most of us, we didn't have a whole lot of say in the matter, whether we were going to be born or not, right? It was our parents' decision. Most of us don't even remember it. It was was their parents' choice. Or or maybe it was your parents' accident. I don't know. I'm talking to you, Michaela. Uh, But for most of us, when our mom found out that she was expecting a baby, she got really excited and decided she was going to keep us. And for most of us, our dad decided to stick around too, despite how we looked when we came out. (laughs) Mom says, what a treasure. And dad says, let's bury it. Maybe some of you can't joke about something like that. Maybe you have a checkered past when it comes to your parents. Maybe you don't even know who your dad is. Maybe you've been adopted. Maybe you have something in your past that is just, it's still interfering with your future. If you, have, if you are that person, if you have some hurts about things that happened to you long ago, oh, I want to encourage you to, to get some help for that, to get some good biblical counseling, to get someone praying for you, to get some healing Because the things that happen to us when we are young and innocent, they can scar us for life, and we have to bring them to Jesus. All joking aside then, the point that I want to make is simply that you and I are born physically because of something our parents decided to do, right? But if you want to be accepted into the kingdom of God, maybe, (laughs) there's a choice that you have to make. And there is no other human being involved in that choice. It's up to you and God. Your parents could drag you to church every Sunday, whether you like it or not. (laughs) But the decision to accept God's free gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, that's your call. Now, please don't misunderstand me here. Because I am not saying that godly parents aren't a blessing and some of you have been in, in the bio, uh, Sunday school class, and I think that's what you guys are studying in there, is, is how, to, how to have that influence on your child and how to be a better, more godly, more Christ-like parent. And, and I'm so thankful that I was born to parents of Christians. I think I would probably be in jail if I hadn't been. And so their influence is incredible. And your influence as a parent, as an uncle, as an aunt, as a grandma, great-grandma, your influence in your ch- on your children and your children's children is, is huge. So I'm not saying the godly parents don't matter, because they do. But what I am saying is that when it comes to your salvation, it's a decision that you have to make. We all know some really godly parents who have a prodigal son. We all know God is a pretty great father. And he's got a prodigal son. So John says that your eternal life, your right to call yourself a child of God, is simply a decision that you make about the free gift that God is offering you through Jesus Christ. It's an event that's beyond any human effort, any human cleverness, or any human manipulation. John says, but to all who believe 
and accept him. He gives them the right to call themselves children of God. Only when you believe and accept him, only when you yield your life to him and surrender to his lordship, only then do you truly become a child of God. The Apostle John writes, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. He writes that in, in, in a letter that he's written later in life. It's really just that simple. If you believe him and accept him, inviting him into your life to take control of your life, then you will enter into God's kingdom. You will become a part of God's family. You, you simply open yourself up to Jesus and allow him to move into your life and to take charge of all of it. When you do that, he works that miracle of rebirth in you. He adopts you into his forever family. You are now called a child of God. It's a right. No one can take it away from you. But it's scary. It's scary. I, I know that feeling. I, I became God's child 45 years ago. And there's still some days when it absolutely freaks me out. What did I decide to do when I was young and naive and foolish, right? And every once in a while, me, myself, and I form this bizarre coalition to try and oust the rightful ruler and the parliament of my spirit. And we do this, and you do this, basically for one reason. It's because you don't trust. You don't trust the one who is in charge. I'm no longer in charge of me. Jesus is. I am not the main character in the story of my life. I hope I'm a good supporting actor. Jesus is the main character. I'm not the center of the universe. Jesus is. I can, I can say this, however. As scary as it is to yield that kind of control, that kind of absolute sovereignty to somebody else, I can say this. The one who is inviting you to be part of his heavenly family, the one who is offering you the right to call yourself a child of God, I can say this with 100% certainty. He is the greatest father. He's just amazing. He's a great dad. All of us who know him try to be like him as we're dads and we make mistakes and mess up along the way and we just hope that our kids will see past us and see that they have a heavenly father who loves them and is, is perfect. And you can be assured that if you invite him into your life to accomplish this spiritual rebirth in you, he's completely trustworthy. You can trust him. Your heavenly father cares for you, 1 Peter 5, 7. Your heavenly father protects you, Matthew 18, verse 6. Your heavenly father provides for you, Philippians 4, verse 9. Your heavenly father guides you and helps you make decisions, John 14, 26. Your heavenly father helps you, Psalm 46, verse 1. Your heavenly father encourages you, Philippians 4, verse 13. Your heavenly father has nothing but good plans for you, Jeremiah 29, verse 11. 
And there's a lot of things going on in our world right now. There's lots of good reasons to be afraid. There's all these things going on. There's a pandemic that can cause fear. There's an uncertain government response to this pandemic, and that can cause fear. Do the ones who are in charge making the decisions really know what they're doing? I don't, I don't know. There's anger and division, and people, even Christian people, arguing with each other over this, and that can cause fear. We're supposed to love each other. Where'd the love go? And then, then you add into that mix all the things that you've been through in your life, like all the garbage and darkness in your past, and that can cause fear in your life. And the stuff that you're facing right now, the burdens that God's asked you to bear, the uncertainties, the sickness, all those sorts of things, the loss of loved ones, that can cause fear. And then (laughs) what lies ahead? Oh, my word. Wow, we're so uncertain of what the future holds. Even though we have lots of promises, we don't know what it's going to be like. We don't know how to get through this present darkness until we get to that moment of light. And so that causes fear. And yet this morning, did we not sing that Jesus is the name that charms our fears, that bids our sorrows cease. We sang that Jesus shines, that he fills us with courage and strength to follow him. We sang that Jesus is the risen and exalted one, the holy and anointed one. We sang that Jesus commands the hosts of heavens, that Jesus makes every king bow down. We sang that there is a light that overwhelms the darkness. That is straight out of John 1 verse 5. We sang it today. Do we believe it? If you've never invited Jesus to be your Savior, please don't leave here today without doing that. And if you've come here today and something is weighing on you, something is causing you fear, there's something that you just can't seem to let go of before the throne of God above, something is taking your eyes off of Jesus, I want you to hear this well-known promise from your heavenly Father. I want you to hear it as if it's the very first time you've ever heard it. To all who believe him and accept him, he gives us the right to call ourselves children of God. Let's pray. keep trying to figure out just how big you are. My mind lacks the capacity. I sing about what an amazing God you are, what an incredible Savior. Your death and resurrection, it's, it's 
It's the high point of all of history. And yet there's moments in my life where it feels like I don't let it matter. I don't let it affect me as much as it should. So I'm not, I'm going to ask you to forgive me for all the disbelief in my past. And I'm not going to worry about the moments in my future, maybe when I will look down and question you and not trust. I just, I just want to say to you right now in this moment, you're my savior. And that has made all the difference. Please stand with us.
around you. If you are staying for Pollock, make sure you clean your hands as you go through the food line. And I'm going to pray for the food. Joyce reminded me, and I almost forgot. And then dismiss you with a benediction. So let's pray together. Father in heaven, we have much to be thankful for. We have thankfulness, Lord Jesus, for your adoption of us as your children. We can be thankful, Lord, that there is peace in our hearts, feeling of your Holy Spirit, even in the midst of fear and doubt. That you are the, the foundation stone of life, even when everything feels, I don't know, not level. When everything feels a little wrong in life. I just appreciate the fact that the house is built on top of you. And you don't shake, even when it feels like life is just a big storm. God, I thank you for the lunch that we're going to have together. For those who want to stay and for those who don't stay for lunch, Lord Jesus, take care of them and encourage them. And unite them, Lord, as a family. Give them joy as they spend time together. And as they go from this place to make an impact in their communities and where you take them. Lord, I think of the people who are at home, who are more comfortable there, who are waiting, Lord, until it gets safer. Or people who just have to be careful right now because of something else. People who can't be here maybe because it's just easier to be at home with their mobility. Or people who live far away who want to listen to your word be preached. To listen to us sing songs of praise. Lord, take care of them too. Thank you for lunch that we're going to have. And Lord, I pray that you'd bless and keep my church family. You'd make your face shine on them. That you'd be gracious to them. That you would turn your face towards them, Lord Jesus. And you would give them your peace. And give that peace to me too. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.